0: Welcome back to What You Will Learn. My name is Adam Ashton.
1: And my name is Adam Jones. We just interviewed the superstar, Ryan Holiday, author of many books.
0: Yes, that's right. To say that Holiday's is productive would be an understatement. He's done five books that we've done on the podcast. Perennial Seller, The Obstacle is the Way, Ego is the Enemy, Stillness is the Key, Courage is Calling, plus a whole bunch that we haven't done. Lives of the Stoics, The Daily Stoic, Conspiracy, uh, Growth Hacker Marketing, Trust me, I'm lying. Uh, The boy who would be king. Plus, I'm sure I forgot a few. Plus, he's done a whole bunch of ghostwriting as well. So yes, understatement indeed. I just also saw in our Instagram messages that on the 9th of January, 2018, we first messaged Ryan Holiday asking if he could come on the podcast, uh, which obviously that one didn't land, that request. And fair enough too, because it was pretty cringy reading that message back from the early days of the podcast. But almost four years later that... uh, I guess, what, three years and 10 months, we've, we've uh, finally cracked him and got him on and uh, it was worth the wait. It was a fantastic chat with a fantastic bloke.
1: Ryan Holiday, He's studied all of the ancients. There's so much we can get from this wild gentleman. So, without any further ado, here's our interview with Ryan
2: Holiday.
0: Awesome. Ryan Holiday, thanks so much for joining us. It's, uh, it's an honor to have you here.
2: I'm I'm glad to be here.
0: Let's start with uh, Let's start with courage, and let's start with virtues, uh, and let's start with Hercules. Okay. I think everyone knows. I think everyone knows Hercules. Everyone watched probably watched the cartoons. I used to watch it on uh, Saturday Disney when I was a kid. Um, what What's uh, What does Hercules what, what can Hercules inspire us by about uh, Hercules Crossroads? His decision.
2: Yes, the the ancients tell us of the choice of Hercules. In fact, this is a story that goes to the very founding of Stoicism. It's the sort of first thing that Zeno, uh, the founder of Stoicism, hears at a bookshop in Athens that sets him on a a course that changes his life. Uh, Hercules is is out for a walk and he comes to a crossroads. Uh, Is it real? We don't know. It doesn't really matter. But the idea is that at this crossroads, he's given a choice between Following two different goddesses, the goddess of virtue and the goddess of vice, right? The hard way or the easy way. Um, virtue uh, being uh, perhaps not the most sexy, the most fun, the most exciting, the most sort of immediately rewarding or pleasurable, um, but ultimately uh, sort of the path to greatness. And so this choice of Hercules goes back, uh, you know, thousands of years as sort of an illustration. Uh, this choice that we all have as individuals, are we going to do things the easy way or the hard way? Are we going to take the shortcut or put in the work? Are we going to invest in ourselves? Are we going to think long term or short term? And so this choice of Hercules is really um, the, the sort of the first sort of philosophical choice that we have. And I open the series of books with it because I'm writing a series of books on what they call the cardinal virtues, uh, Courage, Temperance, Justice, Wisdom um and all i would argue that each one of those four virtues is harder than the alternative but ultimately much more rewarding and and an, uh, an essential step on on this sort of path to greatness that we're talking about
0: yeah fantastic i'm i'm looking forward to the the uh the next three that are still to come you've uh, you've locked yourself in for for three more books so that's exciting um yeah. in terms of the in terms of the brand new book courage um, what what I guess is your favorite story of courage from the book or what's what story has resonated most with people since the book launch?
2: I don't know if I have a favorite story I mean w- when I'm writing i'm I'm trying to pick uh, I, I find that if you're if you're trying to make this sort of conclusive definitive argument about something um, it's it, it not only do you struggle to land it uh, as a, as a writer for the audience but it, it's not you're, you're almost never going to get there. Um, and so what I try to do and what I say I, I was trying to do in Courage is just illustrate a essential a, a idea from a variety of angles. So I don't think there's one story that like, this is the story that embodies courage so much as what I'm trying to do is go, look, here is a glimpse of courage. And then here is a glimpse of a different kind of courage. And then here's a different look at what this courage looks like over here. and 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 by sort of giving us these sort of little slivers, we get a sense of the larger picture. Um, that, that's sort of how I, I'm i trying to at least, how I try to do it in all my writing, but it's definitely what I'm trying to do in this series of books is is not sort of beat people over the head with my definition or, or try to argue for a very specific definition, but to present these sort of different illustrations of the idea, like right now I'm working on the self-discipline or the temperance book. Um, but but to, to sort of illustrate it through these snapshots to give you a sense of the whole. You mentioned how, uh, out of all the virtues, how it's probably the
1: harder path to take in in the short term. And a quote from your book, you said, "There's nothing worth doing that's not scary." There is no one who wants who has achieved greatness without wrestling with their own doubts, anxieties, limitations, and demons. So I guess it's uh, harder in the short term. But I mean, over a life, do you think it might be actually an easier and better life? Um, you
2: know, choosing these harder paths in the short term. I think that's right. And I think that's what the the sort of the choice of Hercules is about. It's like, look, this road might seem shorter or easier, but it doesn't actually get you where you want to go, right? And uh, yeah, I think when you think about the things you're most proud of in life, they were usually things that required courage or risk or unknowns or uncertainties. They were hard things, and then, when you look back and you go, what am I most embarrassed by? Obviously, some of the things that we're embarrassed by are more like lapses of, of temperance or lapses of judgment. But, like, when you go, when you're like, when did I really screw up? When did I really do the wrong thing? When did I really fall short of who I wanted to be as a person or how I see myself as a person? Um, at least in my experience, what those situations, which uh, thankfully are relatively rare. I don't, you know, I, they're not, I'm not like, uh, it, 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 there's only a handful of examples, thankfully, to look at in my own life. But um, what, what, they, what they all have in common is that I was afraid and then I listened to that fear, right? Like uh, I knew what I wanted to do. I knew what I could do. I knew what perhaps the right thing to do was, And then something held me back from doing that. And usually it was sort of fear of consequences, fear of, you know, uh, this, that, or the other, the sort of rationalizations we make to prevent us from stepping forward and instead sort of holding back.
1: That's it. It it makes a lot of sense, courage for your own personal life. But I mean, selling people on heroism, I think that's a whole... Different story, like you talk about, are uh, always try Do you with think pain. so?
2: I mean, I mean, <laughs> yeah, like please. when you when you think about, like, what is one thing that sort of all cultures have in common? Like, I, I guess I, let me put it this way: try to think of a culture or a society that does not hold up courage as a virtue. Like, it goes to the very core of who we are. We've always celebrated courage. I mean, it tended to be physical courage versus moral courage. Um, so I think on the one hand, we've always worshipped courage, and I think we always will worship courage. Obviously, what that courage is can change. I think maybe your point about heroism is that like we're all interested in courage up to a point, right? Up until the point where it comes at the cost of me and my stuff. Uh, and and I, I think that's usually one of the reasons, right? When we go, why didn't you speak up about... X Y or Z. Why didn't you intervene? The answer is usually well, I was worried something would happen to me.
1: Well my bra- my brain goes straight to um Tik oh, tik tik guangduk. I wouldn't I'm even try Gen Z. Sh- <laughs> I shouldn't have even gone for that. But uh yeah the, the Buddhist monk.
2: The Buddhist Tik Not Han? There we go. What, what was no, right?
0: not not Tik Not Han, not Tik Not Han. The guy who lit himself on fire. <laughs> oh,
2: oh yes, yeah, yeah. I I don't know how to pronounce that either. Well that that's
1: the you know, a, a level of heroism that's just, they're not going to see the fruits of their their labor, I guess. So it's sort of having that. that it's mindset. incomprehensible. It is, yeah.
2: Yeah, it, it is. Um, and there's, I think, a spiritual element to it, you know, whether it's Jesus on the cross or, or you know, a monk lighting themselves on fire. there There is sort of a, a transcendent level there um, that I'm not sure we necessarily have to emulate, right? Uh, you know, I'm not saying go light yourself on fire. I'm saying uh, that how do we sort of step, it, how do we take the inspiration of an example like that and apply it day to day in our own life? Like, what are, you, what are you willing to do? Like, there's this great expression that it's not a principle unless it costs you money, right? So it's really easy to say, here's what I think. Um, and then suddenly, when it's not in your self-interest to, to think that, uh, suddenly, you don't feel so strongly about it, right? And so, I'm not saying you have to light yourself on fire, but when was the last time you made a decision that was uh, good for the world but bad for your business? Mm. Right? We ha- we have trouble doing that.
0: Oh, massively you know, that's a, a whole nother level. You've got the the courage where you're putting yourself on the line and then you the other courage where you're putting yourself on the line for others at, at great risk to yourself or your business or your career or whatever it is. I think it's a, it's a tough one.
2: Well, just think about like, let's say there was some author or public figure that was huge that would be great for your audience, but like you personally thought was either a piece of shit or was full of shit, right? Like, you could say that in the abstract, like, Oh, I don't like that person. And then suddenly you find out they want to be Mm. on your podcast or, you know, they, they want to do something with you. Suddenly now our opinion shifts. We're like, well, how can I make it work (laughs) or, you know, uh, whatever. Right. And so uh, I think when we think about courage, it's, it's not just lighting yourself on fire. It's like, no, I'm going to pass on this opportunity because it's not right. I'm going to choose and the, I'm going to choose to decline something that would certainly be good for business and accept the uncertainty of something that might be bad for business because I believe X, right? So even on just a small level, um, that's like, that. like I'll give you an example. I own, uh, or I'm an investor in this sort of small store down the street from my house. Um, and like the third or fourth best-selling product in that store is cigarettes, well, like, I think cigarettes are obviously awful. I would never smoke. I would never want someone I know to smoke. Um, but then let's say you have this discussion with your business partners. and You're like, we should stop selling cigarettes, right? Well, you're looking at the certainty of the loss in whatever monthly revenue, contrasted with the uncertainty of, well, people appreciate this. Uh, am I actually right about this? You know what will I replace this with, etc. So we often choose to just leave things as mm. they are instead of leaping into the unknown or taking the risk to do the thing that uh, that that you know we know is right, but we sort of lack the courage to actually do.
0: Mm, definitely, I can think of plenty of uh, authors we've hung shit on behind closed doors. That if they if that email <laughs> popped in our inbox, I'd be I'd be second guessing myself. That's for sure. <laughs> <laughs> um I also like that you know that it is tough but when you do overcome it or when you are that person that is courageous that it kind of uh can infect or inspire others as well that the story yes. I loved was when uh, other armies were like man we're in, we're in a bit of trouble here we need a bit of help let's let's call the spartans in and then they're expecting the spartan army and then just one dude shows up
2: yes <laughs> Right. Uh, And and, yeah, the idea is that like one person's all it takes, right? One person who knows what they're doing, one person who can model the right behavior, one person who isn't afraid. So um, fear is contagious, but so is courage. And so, you know, I think by not by choosing not to be afraid, by not getting rattled, by not contributing to the problem, you are making things better. Right. Um, So these, these little, you know, these little contributions add up. Yeah, it's very good.
1: One of the you obviously been inspired, Ryan, by a lot of the ancients and a lot of the stories and you've uh studied so many of them. I mean, what way today are we different to them and what most can we learn from them to really and how our culture is, I
2: guess, different today to what it used to be? Well, I mean, obviously the ancient sort of definition of courage was very masculine and it was very martial in the sense that um it was almost entirely based on like how one performs in battle. Now, I think it's a great thing that our, that our definition of courage is no longer so limited that it not just includes sort of all, uh, sexes and genders, but that, uh, moral courage is just as important as physical courage, right? You need not only sort of, uh, brave warriors, but you also need conscientious objectors. You need whistleblowers, you need, uh, Artists, you need uh, truth tellers, right? You need uh, entrepreneurs, you need uh, scientists, right? So I think um, if I'm looking at the sort of ancient definition of courage, I'm looking for sort of room for improvement. It's that it was very circumscribed how they thought about it, and they they sort of limited themselves unnecessarily to all sorts of uh, sort of. Uh, Types of courage. So I, I tell the story of the charge of the Light Brigade, right? And the charge of the Light Brigade is this sort of famous martial example of courage. People, uh, uh, th- this sort of cavalry charge, marching uh, in- into certain death, essentially, uh, without question. And and there's a courage in that, but there's also courage in somebody going like, guys, what the fuck are we doing? This is insane, <laughs> right? So the the like. Obviously, to uh, to go put oneself in danger requires courage, but it also requires courage to go like, why are we putting ourselves in danger again? Right. To, 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 <laughs> this is what you would call moral courage. Right. The, the courage to question orders, to to demand an explanation, to see what's going on, to not just be so focused on what's narrowly in front of you, but to see the, the bigger picture. That's a really hard thing to do.
0: Mm, I like it a lot. Uh, we've been talking a, a lot about about courage, obviously, and you, you mentioned there's there's three more to come: uh, temperance, wisdom, uh, justice. Yes. I was I was uh, in terms of when you were making this book, uh, obviously, it's a four book series. Did you ever think about doing one big papa, one six hundred page laws of human nature mega book, like the ultimate cardinal virtues, all in one all in one book?
2: Well, so originally I thought, why not just do the cardinal virtues in one book? Like do one sort of three or 400 page book. Like just one book that's four parts, one on each virtue. Um, And I just felt like it wasn't going to be enough space. And uh, I kind of wanted each one to be self-contained. So they are very much interrelated. And one of the tricky parts of the series is like, there's already chapters in the Courage book that now that I've started the Temperance book, I wish were not in there, and I could move them around. Um, so, so this is the first time I've really had to think about how the different pieces intersect with each other because uh, the obstacles, the way ego is the enemy, and stillness is the key, are now a trilogy, but they weren't written as one. Hmm. They were written as self-contained books. Um, so, I think there's a, a, a certain amount of it that um, it was just freeing to decide to do them. But I I do hope at one day to either have a box set or to have one sort of combined volume of of all all the books. But right now, it's more than I can think of to just be like, what the hell is the second book going to be?
0: Interesting. And how much in terms of, I guess, uh, a peek behind the curtain, how much sort of planning and structure and, and overview, I guess, did you do of all four before diving into the first one?
2: Well, to, to, to sort of sell the project, I obviously had to think about what all the four books were going to be. I had to sort of describe, you know, what was going to be in them, what the titles were going to be. I have some sense, um, but but I'm kind of trying to do, like, the Courage book was the most, I was the least constrained. I could put anything I wanted in it. And now the second book has to sort of build on the first book, but I, and, and is also sort of limited by stuff that already went in the first book. Um but, but I am trying to think about with each chapter, especially when I'm writing, not so much. But as I've gone back and edited and worked on them, I've had to think a lot about, OK, this chapter is good. I like it. It's something that pertains to the four virtues. But is this the best spot for it? So there were uh, three or four, eh, probably more. There was a handful of chapters that slowly that were in the first, first, first draft of Courage that through the editing process all the way up, like even to the audiobook, I think, were cut out of the book and were moved into the temperance book. And then some will get moved into the other ones. So some, some of the virtues overlap more than others. But there were um, this uh, just to like really nerd out about this. For instance, the Stoics held that endurance was part of courage. Right, that endure like they they often rendered the virtue of courage as fortitude. Right, so um, if if I accept that, then there should have been a lot more about endurance in the courage book. I tended to I tend to look at temperance um, or the discipline of self discipline um, as the proper place for the idea of endurance. So I'm moving one sort of sub theme because each of the virtues is really comprised of several other virtues. So I think endurance better fits in, uh, in, the, self, in the self-discipline book. So I, for instance, I had a chapter about Shackleton in part two, maybe of Courage, um, that, that's being moved into part one of the Temperance book. Um, so so it really it's really like well what are you what are you going to cover in this book what are you going to cover in this book and then where do some of those things are kind of overlapping edge cases and you got to sort of move them around
1: yeah that's awesome there's, there's so much in that one of the things i've we've noticed i'd say you know from the outside of you understanding uh or looking at you and how you've approached your career it's it's sort of like you invent opportunities i mean out of nothing so i'd love to just Know from the very start okay. of your career where you started and sort of, you know, how you sort of carved this this life out for you. Cause I'm sure everyone listening right now, it'd be a dream life, right? Like writing, getting super passionate about a topic and then just writing awesome books about it that are super successful. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Uh, life you sort of carved out in, in your career.
2: I mean, is, is there, I, I guess maybe I just believe that that's how all opportunities are created i don't know if they really knock on your door the way that you know the sort of the expression goes like i think you you invariably do invent your uh you you invent your opportunities that's how it goes
0: that makes Mm -hmm. sense um we just read uh, how you measure your life and he talks about you know how you apply Career sure. or business sort of strategies to to life. So one was like the the deliberate strategy versus the emergent strategy. So how much is planned versus how much is sort of seizing the things that that pop up? Um, how do you think you've sort of uh, mixed or blended the the deliberate strategy at the outset versus jumping on opportunities as they popped up?
2: Yeah, I mean you 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 are you obviously are sort of taking life as it comes, and and I think this is obviously what the obstacle is the way is about is that life sort of presents things to you it doesn't call them opportunities it may well call them uh obstacles or 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 uh, adversity but there is inherently something you can do with that um i think I think what I try to do is I try to think about what would be challenging or fun or interesting, like what would help me grow the most or I would learn the most from. And I sort of go towards that. That happens to be a decent career strategy as well. It's brought certain rewards to it. So I'm not like thinking like, well, here are the 20 things that I want to accomplish. It's more like, um, well, what would be the next sort of cool thing to do? What would be the next sort of challenge? What would be something that I would learn a lot from whether I succeeded or failed at it. And that's sort of my my guide.
1: And yeah, I feel like that's where your obstacle is the way book is, does sort of link to Courage is Calling in that, you know, the the thing you fear or the thing that's hard is sort of the thing that maybe you should be doing. Is that the sort of
2: how you say it? Yeah, that's right. Um, it, it, it's like, look, first off, if it was easy, everyone would do it. Right. So by going towards the hard things, you're normally going away from competition. Right. The easy things, uh, the upside of them is that they're easy. The downside is that there's usually not much in the way of rewards for them, both personally and professionally. Right. Like if 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 writing a book was really, really easy, there'd be a lot more books. Right. And uh, be less impressive, less meaningful uh, less less lucrative to write one, right? And so the fact that it is hard uh, is often a good sign. Now it could be could be that nobody's doing it because it's not worth doing, and or or that it's it's fatal, right? A lot of most people don't jump off cliffs, right? Because it's a bad thing to do. Um, but but I think generally the idea of sort of going towards difficulty away from competition is sort of a good rule creatively and professionally. Mm,
0: I like it. Um, Jonesy, I don't know if you remember. But this is probably two and a half years ago. I walked into your your old place uh, at Albert Park, and it was so. I just read Perennial Seller and was blown away. Then we'd read Obstacles the Way. Uh, I kind of I, I didn't quite go in uh, in published order. I was a bit late onto the Ryan Holiday scene. This is probably 2018, 2019. Then I read Ego is the Enemy and got absolutely destroyed by it in a, in the best way possible. Um, and then uh, and then Conspiracy came out. And then I, I think it was just when I heard Stillness was coming out. I said, Jonesy, I think uh, Ryan Holiday is I think he's going to be the biggest and best author of like of our time, as in like of this this period now that's coming up. Um, there was an, an incredible stretch of books um, and obviously there's been like three or four more since then as well um, so obviously big big congrats on that um, and I think you're still on track to becoming the, the biggest and the best um, one one question to add another sort of concept or framework into it is that a book we read Algorithms to Live By which talks about sort of computer science and, and coding and how you can apply some of those theories to, to life and uh, one was the Explore Versus exploit. So obviously, explore looking for things, and exploit going deep when you find a winner. Um, you know, maybe it's a restaurant looking for you. Move to a new area, try out all the new restaurants. When you find your winner, then maybe you keep going back every every Saturday night. Sure. Um, how do you think about your exploring versus exploiting? I'd say on the on the high level, you've sort of explored, you know, a bit of marketing, bit of stoicism, uh, conspiracy. Obviously, a completely different realm as well. When, uh, and then you've sort of exploited deep within. Stoicism, uh, but then you've also kind of explored within Stoicism with, like, The Lives of the Stoics was a very different book, The Boy Who Would Be King, a very different book. Um, how do you think about that, sort of approaching your career from a meta perspective, exploring versus exploiting and adding different feathers to your bow?
2: Well, I don't really think about feathers it. Feathers to your tap
0: uh, or strings to your bow.
2: It's, it's not <laughs> mix, really mix something I, I think about day to day, but I, I would sort of generally agree with the, the logic of, of the sort of two different phases. Um, it can, of course, get really easy once you've sort of struck something to just like keep mining that over and over again. So I think it's important that you're sort of doing both, that you sort of have other things that you're exploring, other interests, other sources of new encounters, information, ideas. Um, but that once you really find something, uh, you you want to make it work uh, um uh, Jim Collins talks about the idea of a flywheel, like the idea of like really like once you once you sort of dial something and once you really get it going and then it's just operating under its own power, the sort of rewards and mastery and uh, compounding benefits that they, they just sort of start spinning off. So um, I, I do when something starts working for me, I do try to invest more and more in it, um, put more and more time or energy or or, or interest towards it. Um, but, but I have like on, on stoicism, like, um, to me, the idea is like, there's all these different things I could write about. I just want to write about all of them and I like to stay busy. So I'm just sort of always doing it. And like, I try to think about how they benefit each other. So for instance, um, lives of the Stoics was, as you said, a very different kind of book for me. Um, it, it, it it was less. Uh, prescriptive as far as the other Stoic books were less self-help and more sort of uh, you might say like historical Um, but the research that it forced me to do into Stoicism into the different characters and personalities inside of Stoicism people that I probably wouldn't have written about or cared that much about under ordinary circumstances I really really had to explore and I've taken that understanding and even just some of the stories and examples back to what I really like doing, which is like writing the daily Stoic emails, doing the videos that we do, writing these shorter, uh, sort of more inspirational books. So I I love opportunities where it's outside your comfort zone. You're gonna grow. You're gonna explore something you're not. You wouldn't otherwise ordinarily explore. But the justification for it is not what you're getting paid or that it might succeed or any of that. The justification is I'm gonna get some resources or skills or information or relationships out of this that I can bring back to my main thing. That's so good.
1: When you're building a product and looking to launch it, um, what sort of marketing strategies are most important that, that you go to when, when you're launching a product?
2: The the big one is just like sort of how will this be positioned? Like, is the proposition attractive? So, uh, you know, like writing, I, I've talked about this before, but the, the originally ego is the enemy was going to be a book about humility. Um, writing a book about humility versus writing a book against ego, you're accept, you're effectively writing the same book, mm. but the approach and then the proposition up front to the reader is drastically different. One is very attractive. The other uh, seems uh, rather boring. And so as I think about books, as I think about what I'm gonna do, it's like the topic, the ideas, etc., is like pretty established, but it's just like, what is the best way to do this? That's what, that's where most of the marketing work is in my view.
0: Hmm. Love it. Um, we, we've we kind of uh, covered a fair bit of ground in terms of obviously the virtues, obviously went a little bit deep on courage, a, f- a bit of general stuff. Um, I want to talk a lot about, no doubt, a little bit about books. Uh, obviously, sure. you've got a, a big stack of books behind you. You've got a bookstore as well. Um, yeah, what by, have you learned since uh, opening? Oh, nice. What have you learned about, I guess, book readers and book buyers since opening a bookstore?
2: That's a good question so um, one of the frustrating things about publishing is that um, the entire industry is supported by what we call the backlist like titles that are more than a year old but almost the entirety of the focus is on new books mm. and so uh, just w- watching how how jacked up it is 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 like uh, it is impossible to get books that like, if I want a hundred copies of some brand new book that might not be selling a year from now, I can easily get them. But if I want a hundred copies of a ten-year-old book that's really good um, but not a lot of people know about, it's like impossible to get um, because they just they just like because of some of the COVID shortages and stuff, they're just like last in line for reprints, right? And so just watching how much focus uh, is industry wide on what's new? Like even with my podcast and I'm sure this is true for you guys. Have you ever got a pitch from a publicist about a book that's more than a year old or 5 years old? <laughs> right? Like it's always this book just came out mm. or is coming out, right? It's not like, hey, this book came out in 2008, but by the way, it's still doing great. You know, people love it. Would you like to talk to so and so, right? Um and and the idea to me is that like if someone hasn't heard of something it is new right and the vast majority of people even my books that have sold well the vast majority of people alive in the world right now have it have not even heard of me right like it's not like they're not interested they don't even know that i exist right and and uh and that to me is an opportunity right um so, so I think um, both as a writer and then as someone in publishing, just the frustrating short-sightedness uh, is really annoying.
1: Like, uh, like most great ideas, that's it's sort of like retrospectively obvious now you say because, like in perennial seller, you talk about the Lindy effect. I mean, all the best books are the ones that have stood the test of time. So, by definition, the ones the bookstores with the the more classical sort of books that have been. You know, still selling for for a decade or so. That's going to be the best bookstore. But I mean, all the bookstores—they're positioned, in my mind, is like the same sort of thing. There's no brand of bookstores that has a type of book for you know you to go through every time and sort of browse and find what you're looking for.
2: Yeah, I mean, even it just struck me the other day. I watched someone come in and buy like a copy of The Odyssey, and you're like. This is the oldest book that there is, and <laughs> someone's coming in. They're like, "Oh, I haven't read this." Right? Like it's still happening, you know. Um, and it's it is really incredible just how durable a book can be or an idea can be. Um, and uh, yeah, so so for my bookstore, it's mostly sort of older books that I really like. Not they don't have to be really old. They could be eighteen months old or they could be fifteen years old. Uh, but but I tend to focus on just like books that I really like that everyone I've told about was like, fuck, that was amazing. That That's sort of what I what I think about and what I like. And uh, unfortunately, just a blind spot in publishing. Even even mm-hmm. my own books, like The Obstacle is the Way, when it came out, it sold okay. It probably sold 30, 40,000 copies its first year, but it sold like 150,000 copies its second year. And it sold, you know, not more, but it sold like, so it's, it sold more copies every year than it did in the first year. Does that make sense? So it's not every year is more than the last year, but every single year since 2014, it sold more copies than it sold in 2014. Right. Um, which is not, which is not how publishing works. And it's not how, (laughs) you know, like the idea that you would continue marketing something as opposed to focusing on the new thing. It's just not, it's just not how, how the industry works, right? And so it's, it's uh, as I think about my books, I try to make them timeless or not, or sort of less rooted in the present moment than, than, uh, than I might ordinarily do if I wasn't thinking about it. Mm.
0: What do you think is the best, the best gateway to Ryan Holiday? If somebody uh, walked into a bookstore and said, I want to get a Ryan Holiday book, he's got, I don't know, 10, 12, 15 <laughs> different books, which one should I start with?
2: I'm like the worst person in the world to ask that question, too, because like I have obviously I sort of have my vague sense. You know, I, I have obviously the sales data, but I also I have an individual relationship with each one of those books. Right. And they mean something different to me in different ways. So I'm like the worst person to ask that question, too. You should answer that question.
0: I'd say obstacle. I'd say obstacle. For me, for me, uh, if you're in marketing, perennial seller, absolute must must read. I think if it was more like a, a general, a general person obstacle. And I actually I only only just recently in the last week and a half in preparation for this Red Conspiracy. And I think I thought I was just blown away. I thought that was incredible. I think I had a, a, a keen interest in uh, in Machiavelli. Jonesy's hung shit on me for it before, but uh, I thought it was incredible how you weaved. Together, the stories with the concepts seamlessly. I thought it was a, I thought it was an amazing book.
2: Well, it's very kind. I mean, that's like so. If you're like, what's my favorite book? That might be the one that I would choose, yeah. right? So I was really proud of that, and it was it was everything I wanted it to be. Was it everything the market wanted it to be? Probably less so. But that's not really what I was trying to yeah. do, right? I was trying. Uh, I was trying to do something. I was trying to paint the picture the way that I saw it, right? Which is all you can really do. And sometimes that's exactly what the audience wants. And sometimes it's not, right? Some, sometimes it's the opposite of what the audience wants, right? And in that case, it was tricky because I was writing somewhat favorably about a person that most people see unfavorably, right? So um, again, to you asked me about marketing. Now, if I was simply... If I was purely Machiavellian, you would look at it and go, what does the audience want? That's the view you have to take. But that's not a very creatively fulfilling way to go through life, nor a particularly meaningful one. So your sense of what will do well and how to position or whatever something also has to be tempered by like, well, what gets you up out of bed in the morning? Like, what are you excited about? What do you have to say? Right. So there's all the there's a I could give you a bunch of ideas for books that I think would do well, that I have zero interest in writing. <laughs> yeah. And I might have a bunch of ideas for books that I'm very excited about writing that I know the audience has zero interest <laughs> in reading. So it, you do try to find where those things overlap and you try to do it best within those constraints. But um, that's that's the book I'm, I'm most proud of for mm. some unique reasons.
0: I'll actually probably I'll probably adapt my answer from before perennial seller for marketers obstacle is the way for anyone who's kind of in this sort of personal development sort of inspiration space conspiracy is probably the the one for the more general reader the the fiction reader the true crime person who's interested in that i think that's probably the the best place to start and i think that they're all kind of written differently as well how do you i guess hone your hone your uh hone your craft is there any of the awakenzo school of uh archery in it is it any of like the the inner game of tennis approach to it is there any, how do you sort of approach your writing
2: yeah um you know, I came to writing in a somewhat unusual way. So first off, I was a research assistant for a really great writer. But then I was in marketing. And so I wrote press releases and articles and ad campaigns and, and copy and things like that. Right. Um, so I, I sort of developed writing as a skill independent of like being a writer. Right. Right. And so um, I and then and then this continued because I've, I've also done a fair amount of ghostwriting. So I write books for other people. So I have kind of this sort of two modes. There's like when I'm writing something for me and then there's writing something for someone or something else. Um, and so like when I'm thinking about a book project, even one of my own projects, I do feel like I have maybe some some tools in my toolkit that maybe uh, another writer might not have. Cause I can really think about like, what's the best way to do this as opposed to being like a hammer that turns everything into a nail. You know what I mean? Like I can, mm. I can sort of go like, well, you could do it this way or you could do it that way. Right. I'm, I'm working on a book for someone right now. And, uh, and I was just sort of sitting down talking to them about it being like, well, look, there's a, there's this style of book, there's this style of book, there's this style of book. It's like, you know, look, there's, there's this kind of, you know, there's, you could do a, a pop song, you could do a ballad, you know, you could do you, you, there, you knowing the different styles and being somewhat familiar with them or, or having some skill in them allows you to then sort of look at a specific project and, and sort of decide what muscles you're going to use.
0: Hmm. We had, um, Stephen Pressfield on about a month ago. So it's been a, it's been a good month for us, some, yeah, some he's of our all time favorites. And he, uh, he kind of said, like, uh, you know, his book, every, nah, Nobody Wants to Read Your Shit. Like, he talks about his journey through all different sort of genres, like fiction, nonfiction, movies, screenplays, porn. Um, so it's just sort of taking all those different uh, mixes and sort of not merging them into one, but having all those options to choose from.
2: Well, I think he says something in The War of Art about how he wanted to write about this battle, this inner battle with uh, like over the resistance. But at first he thought he would do it as like a historical uh, fiction. Then he thought about it as a screenplay. You know, then he thought about it as a blog. He thought about it as different things and then was like, "Okay." he sort of invented a little style of book. I haven't really read a book that's structured like that before um but but i the idea that you're like look what weapon am i going to choose here you know or what's my fighting style here is uh this is getting a little inside baseball but the idea that you you you're choosing what how you're going to fight this person or what you know what kind of offense are you going to run you know that that's like uh that's something you have to think about as you approach a creative project
1: so good Ryan what are sort of approaching the end Now, one of the questions we always ask is, "What's uh, you know the favorite book of an author for, for for yourself?" But obviously, it's just such a difficult question, so we might just go a bit more niche. You obviously love Marcus Aurelius and Seneca and um, the more ancient authors. Is there any modern day authors that you get a,
2: get a real kick out of? Well, you know, I'm actually just reading this book right now of this Australian author who you guys would like and probably like to have on. Uh, do you know who jo- Julia Barrett is? Um, she wrote this book called Phosphorance. She has a really good biography. I don't know if I have it here of Queen Victoria that I also loved, but I'm reading this book right now. Um, I like her a lot. Um, I love Stephen Pressfield. Obviously I love Robert Greene. Um, who else would I sort of put in that category? Um, I don't know. There's three
0: yeah nice um in terms of all the robert green books obviously you've had a lot to do with Robert green. how would you rank them as your favorites or what what's your uh what's favorites your order or of where
2: what i would recommend to people uh
0: your your personal favorites yeah okay so or, or if you if you want to take the easy path you can go uh, no so
2: my personal favorite it would be 33 strategies of war 48 laws of power mastery but those are all very three close mm. ones. Like, if oh, yeah. depending on the day, I might move mastery up, you know. Um, uh, then 50th Law. Um, I guess Art of Seduction is probably my least favorite, only in the sense that it's, like, the least applicable to me as a person. It was never, like mm. – like it was never a thing where I was, like, this is something I want to master, you know. So, of, of the books – that one spoke the least to me. But um, I, I, I got to do some work on Robert's new book, The Daily Laws, which I think is if people are wondering where to start with Robert, that's where I would start. But on The Daily Laws, one of the, the things I got excited about was like, as I was sort of helping Robert break it down, is like, how do we position some of the ideas in the art of seduction, take them out of the sort of one on one romantic relationship and apply it more generally to mm. sort of marketing, communication, uh, connection. Uh, so, so it was more relevant than 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 the context that people might be inclined to see that book.
0: Mm. Love it, but he's the goat. Um, I mean,
2: he's the best, and all those books are <laughs> is fucking incredible. So, uh, <laughs> it's it's hard to know what to pick. We agree with you. That's
0: right. <laughs> You can kind of pick uh, pick any of those and you're probably doing all right. Well, I guess kind of following on from that, like what to you makes a good, what's a what's a good book? What's a book that's worth worth reading?
2: I mean, I don't think there's, uh, I like all different kinds of books, but I'd say a couple things. Uh, one, the author has something to say, right? That only they can say or have said, right? So I think most books suffer from, why does this exist? What the hell are you talking about? Like, what is your unique argument here? Why does this exist? The truth is most books exist because people think they should have a book or, you know, like it, it doesn't exist for any real reason other than financial or ego or, or whatever. Um, so sort of what is the author having to say? Um I just because of how I write, I tend to look for stories, anecdotes, quotes. So really good books, even if it's fiction. I just love when there's one of those sentences or paragraphs or stories that just like nails something about life or, you know, I just I, I love that kind of writing. So whether you're reading Cormac McCarthy or Robert Greene, like you you want one of those sort of incisive sentences about the human experience, right? That that's what I love. Um, I tend to like older books, you know, the, the older a book is, uh, you know, going to the Lindy effect, which you talked about earlier, the chances are it'll probably continue to stay relevant. Um, you know, I think there's also something about slightly older books. I don't want to get in this sort of political correctness thing, because it makes it sound like I'm, I'm sort of a culture warrior. But, what I've found in, for instance, older biographies is that the person is less interested in judging the subject of the biography as whether they were a good person or a bad person and more interested in understanding why they were the way they were and how they did what they did. So when I read a biography, um, sometimes I'm like, why are you writing about this person? You hate them, you know, or you don't get them, (laughs) right? So like, I would rather read a a biography where the person really, truly understood what made this person tick. Even if, you know, it's politically out of step with the times or they missed certain things or whatever. I want to get to the essence of why this person was the way that they were. Even if that thing is bad, I want to know why they did what they did. Like... um, Uh, The Ron Chernow biography of Ulysses S. Grant, I realize as Australians, probably a little less compelling to you guys, but he he takes so much time dissecting whether Grant was an alcoholic or not and Grant's alcoholism. But the problem is alcoholism did not exist as a concept in the 1850s and 60s and 70s. So whatever, even if that was part of who Grant was, it wasn't why like grant had no conception of himself as an alcoholic right just as like a person a thousand years ago probably wouldn't see themselves as non-binary so by trying to project the what how we see something today on them now you're fundamentally missing you know what was actually driving them in some way and so when i read a book like it's a great book so i'm not knocking it but i'm just as an example sometimes a person will try to try to they will struggle to actually get what is the driving force of a person, and that—that's what I'm really interested in.
0: Fantastic! In uh, I heard you say on Neil Passerich's uh, three books podcast, you organize your yes. books by category, which makes sense. Jonesy organizes his by category as well, um, which probably makes the most sense for me. I I organize them by like red and not red and then the red books are in like a a+++ and then a+ and then a and then b c oh, d oh oh uh,
2: sorry sorry you don't mean like the this. color red i thought you were oh, saying no, like no, the, the, you, all the red books no, go in one, in one category and then <laughs> and and not red else. is another oh i don't yeah. like, with is doing the red green blue it's just red or not red <laughs> <laughs> that'd be a great system. no no uh,
0: that will be... <laughs> no i've got r-e-a-d so on the yes on the top shelf i've got i've got three robert greens um and i've got four ryan holidays so uh i th- it was uh it was awesome to to chat with you um where can people find you
2: uh RyanHoliday.net, uh at ryan holiday and then daily stoic.com and at daily stoic
0: awesome thanks so much it's been a pleasure
2: yeah thanks for having me